I think that a lot of the examples that we've talked about have shown, you know, things that are a big part of who I am, like, you know, like, let's say the toughness, like hardworking, intensity, straight talking, uh, like power in social situations, all these types of things. And, you know, in for me, especially having gone through the years of the therapy that I did, that's not really the way that I see myself in anymore in a, in yeah. a very forward way. Yeah. Um, I, I actually really often describe myself to other people as like very sensitive. Um, and I, my experience of the world is, is in that way. Welcome to another episode of what it's like to be you. I'm Josh Levine, your host. Today, my guest is a very good friend of mine named Emily Tormey. Emily is a type eight, although I would like to make a disclaimer up front, Emily is an Enneagram skeptic. She let me for the course of this conversation, ask her questions about what it's like for her to be an eight. However, she does not embrace the Enneagram or her typing as eight. And so she wasn't really answering from the point of view of being an eight. She was just answering from her own personhood. But as I said, she let me ask her these questions and she is, um, as you'll see, open to having this kind of thing out there in the world because she believes that introspection and self-reflection and things like that are really valuable. And to the extent that the Enneagram helps people do that, then she's game. Full disclosure, my perspective on Emily's typing is that she is, with the help of the Enneagrammer team, is that she is a social self-pres eight with a nine wing, eight, three, six trifix. Couple things about Emily. Emily, for context, went to undergrad and Yale. She's from Seattle originally, and she also went to Oxford for business school. She also rode professionally on the Irish national team and is uh, just an extraordinary athlete in many ways. We talk about her marathon training and stuff in the interview. And one of the things I love about this interview and about Emily is that the interview contradicts what I think there's some unfair stereotypes about eight that eights are all crash and bang all the time. And what's amazing about Emily and what really drew me to her as a friend is how warm and tender she is. She has such a soulfulness and such a, she really does lead with, with her heart and just a beautiful example of an eight who is in touch with their hearts and has a very expansive warmth that she kind of envelops her friends with and I was just a real pleasure to live with her for two years and I still consider her one of my best friends. One interesting dynamic in this interview is that it is the very first interview that I ever conducted in this series. I did like 10 interviews before I published the first one and this is actually the very first one I ever did and Emily was very kind to con to volunteer herself for this little experiment. The reason I bring that up is because you can tell during the interview that I'm pretty nervous. And the reason I bring this up at all actually is not because of some self-conscious admission, but because it's interesting to see my type structure being a social three, embarking on a new project, asking penetrating questions that are digging into territory that are potentially uncomfortable for my friend and being visibly nervous doing so in contrast with Emily's eight-ish solidity and inner strength and unflappability. So I'm very excited for you to learn from my friend, Emily, and without further ado, here she is. So let's kick it off. I'm really curious about, so when we lived together, I was, um, I, I 
tried to bring you into the Enneagram world, and I think I did a, a pretty sloppy job of it. And so <laughs> I would like to just hear you talk about your Enneagram journey. Like, how did you, how did you hear about it? You can talk about me and the way that I introduced you to it. And you can even talk about what was sort of not so good about it, because I think it'll be instructive. And I'm curious about where you are now in terms of your being a person who in, is interested in Enneagram and also how do you know you're a type eight, sort of all of that, all the above. Great. Well, that's kind of a meaty question. Um, yeah. So I guess to start with, I mean, I'll cut you a little bit of slack because I don't know if you're like, you were intentionally bringing me along this journey of the Enneagram with you as much as it was an accidental thing that your roommate happens to be around when we're chatting about it. Uh, but I would say, I mean, in general, I come from a pretty um, skeptical mindset when it, when it comes to things like um, personal development frameworks, primarily because I'm reticent about anything that could kind of sit, 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 sit as a counterpoint to a growth mindset. Um, where you're thinking of yourself as um, binary, like I am this, I am not this in a fundamental way. And, and from someone, as someone who has a really deep background in athletics, not only in my own kind of experience as an athlete, but also having grown up, um, you know, my dad was a football coach and my family is very big into sports, sort of maintaining that sense of identity as very fluid um, is incredibly important to the way that I view myself and the way that I view my ability to kind of grow and change as I get older. So in general, I would say, okay, you can start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just go, cool. I just, I, this is my listening face. I get very still. <laughs> okay, I, forgot, I forgot about that. Uh. Um, yeah. But then also like, to be honest, and as someone who comes from a branding background as well, I find like the Enneagram branding to be like a little occultish. Um, so that is also a bit of a turnoff. And then those two things I would say are the primary reasons why I didn't initially take to it. And then secondly, as you know, like I took the Enneagram test and then was typed as a seven, which in some ways really resonated, especially thinking about a healthy seven who's very experience focused and very positive and dynamic, but, um, in an unhealthy perspective is, um, I think very like, in, like, I can't quite remember, but very indulgent and very um, kind of um, regresses into um, a state of, you know, let's say potentially going out a lot. Whereas for me, when I'm having a challenging moment, I'm much more likely to kind of recede into myself, into quiet, into solitude and into sort of a more protective state. Um, mm -hmm. So there were a lot of aspects around that that didn't resonate with me. Right. Right. And so what changed as you, like, how did, take us through the journey. Like, how did you learn that you're an eight? And then how do you know that you're an eight? Well, I don't know that I'm an eight. And to okay. be honest, like, I still feel, I, I still feel more skeptical about the Enneagram probably than anyone else I've ever met. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, I mean, the way that it basically happened, actually, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who, who, and about this exact topic, who suggested that maybe I actually was an eight rather than a seven, just mm -hmm. based on the way I had described myself. I think she had done one of your workshop, workshops. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember. Well. yeah. 
Um, and then looking actually a little bit more at the characteristics of an eight and particularly like the unhealthy patterns of an eight, it felt, it just resonated with me a lot more and actually sat with me in a much more um, like solid and kind of uh, right way than, than having, thinking of it through the lens of a seven. Um, and I would say that that like did resolve a little bit, but I was still <laughs> like for me that the fact that the, it, the potential for the test to mistype me was another point against another point in validation of the fact that the Enneagram is very imperfect and unscientific mm -hmm. and should be trusted as a way for you to lean on in a really robust way. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't say it was actually until I like really left left New York and went to business school um, where uh, like a lot of people I know would we'd kind of be chatting about the Enneagram and they'd be like oh what type are you oh you're you're an eight oh this makes so much sense you know like uh, I, I think that opened me up to it a little bit more sort of from that like more of a bonding perspective um, and and now I, I mean I'm I would say I'm I'm open to it um, I more as a lens of like thinking about how I can develop myself. Um, I often kind of think about, I mean, in general, one of the things that I'm kind of constantly like trying to reinforce with myself is like, you know, vulnerability and openness are really like the, a true form of strength. Um, as someone who's like very, likes to traditionally kind of control a lot and, um, you know, kind of be in that kind of self, self defensive and, you know, more, in that type of position, I have to, I have to remind myself of that. And in that sense, I would say I've kind of embraced being a type eight, but I still have challenges, um, even accepting the idea of like typing another person. And I, I'm, I haven't, I haven't really warmed up to that idea yet. So if someone embraces that for themselves and says, you know, oh, I'm a three, eight, then it's easier for me to kind of accept that about them and use it as an insight. But I'm really, I'm not comfortable with the idea of typing someone else and then using that as an insight for how I engage with them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, one thing I always love and appreciate about you is your radical honesty. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I appreciate your perspective. Um, so one of the things that just like really back to basics for a second with respect to the, the type eight, <clears throat> and I understand that maybe we're not a hundred percent sure that you're type eight, but I'm just going to talk broadly about some of the eight patterns and see what you relate to. So, you know, each type can be characterized by a kind of basic fear and desire. And for the type eight, the basic fear is of being um, in a position where others could have control over me or where they could hurt me. And the basic desire is to feel independent, strong, alive, um, to be in control of my, my life and my situation. Um, how does that live in you? Yeah, well, what I was going to say is that now that you've set the stage for complete honesty, I have to say that, like, as you were describing that, like, initial part of the aid, I, I definitely felt a little uncomfortably seen. Okay. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, in especially, I think, for me, in terms of it's been a long, it's been a long kind of journey of like unpacking, um, those types of, I would say kind of control patterns and like being, uh, in power up, wanting to be in power up positions in situation, situations across the board. Right. I would say like one area where that's definitely true for me is, I mean, 
um socially and in my love life as well um I would say socially I tend to like lean on a pattern where I am someone who is a person that's like sought after and so I'm just sort of like on a weekly basis like you know it sounds really douchey to say but kind of like sorting through the invitations that like I will say yes to whereas I very rarely kind of like will go out of my way to put myself out there for to to create a relationship with someone else in that sense um and I would say that that pattern somewhat does kind of hold true in in, in situations of love as well and makes it hard, very hard for me um, to, to fall in love with someone romantically. Yeah, I hear that. Um, are you willing to say a little more about this being in a power of position? Like, what is that? What's the inner experience of that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, being in a power of position, I guess, it's really, again, kind of comes back to um, not like not never being let down by others and behind that as well, like never being let down by myself. So I think there's um, kind of a fear of like a fear of getting hurt in the sense that like someone else could hurt me, but that also if I put myself out too far, I've exposed myself and shown myself to be somewhat somehow incapable of like self-protection in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think probably when I was young, I became like pretty, pretty intensely geared towards self-protection. Right. And so by being kind of keep, you know, keeping my distance from people in this way, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, yeah, it's a way to kind of maintain that. Right. Right. What is, can you say, what does power up mean? Like, what does, what does it mean to be in a power up position? Or how do you know when you're, when you're in one or, or how do you know if you're powered down? Um, I, I find it often depends on like, who's in control. I mean, it, power up, power down, like who, who's in control of the framing mm -hmm. of a room, of a conversation, <clears throat> of an invitation, for yeah. example, like, the, who, you know, the ball is in whose court. And to be in a power up position means the ball is kind of always in your court and you also have more control over the way that the, the way that that's moving. Right. Um, right. It's fascinating to me. It's so what, what we, what I hear from a lot of eights is the sense of it's, this is just where my attention goes. It's not, it's not like a, a choice that I make to, for my attention to go here. It's just, this is how somehow my unconscious is, wired to be paying attention to power dynamics and um, whether or not I have control in a situation and whether or not it's not like having an escape hatch. It's just like, are my hands on the wheel or am I at the mercy of someone else? Um, and um, I, I'd love to hear actually, um, Are you in touch with, or are you able to give some words to like, what is, what is the fear? Like what happens, what would happen if you were at the mercy of someone else's control? Or if you were, if you were in a power down position? Well, I mean, I think again, it, it comes back to like, you know, there's nothing like now, especially as an adult, like there's nothing really that 
being in a, there's nothing really that being in a power down position can like really negatively impact me. I think mm-hmm. it comes more into this, like, it, does it chip away at this vision of who I am as someone that's incredibly independent and self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And when you make a judgment, when, when you allow someone else to let you down, then that almost reflects badly for me that like calls into question, you know, my judgment of this other person or uh-huh. my ability to take care of myself and control my life and my own destiny. It's sort of, you know, it, when you, I think it, for me, it comes back to that. Like it's like self-trust and every time someone else kind of lets me down in a way, I feel like it degrades myself, my own trust of myself. That is fascinating. Yeah. There's like this, there's the equation of if, if someone lets you down, then it is like your judgment to trust them, um, mm-hmm. reflection on you. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Slightly shift topic. I'm curious about a lot of eights talk about the feeling of being protective, not just of themselves, but of the people they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like for you? Does it, does that resonate as true? Um, that is very, yeah, it definitely, it does, it does somewhat resonate as true. I think as I've like, probably I, when I was, um, in high school on like through early adulthood, I would say I was a lot more combative. Um, I've come like pretty significantly away from that, both when it comes to things revolving, involving my own life, but also with other people, because I don't necessarily see it as productive in a way that maybe I used to. Um, but I, I, I do kind of have a a very intense reaction when now it's more if it's someone who I'm like very, very close to, like, for example, you know, if some, someone were something, someone were to do something to, you know, let's say put my sister in a bad position, like, you know, it's, it definitely, um, yeah, it's something that I would feel like compelled (laughs) to step Uh into. Um, I probably wouldn't, but I, it, it would, it, it, yeah, it's a very strong reaction. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is, I think something that's really important to understand. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you have words for like your use of the word compelled. Can you talk Mm. about what that, what that energy is like? What, what does it feel like? Um, (laughs) what does it feel like to be compelled? Um, I mean, it's just like a, it's like anything else. I guess it's just like a rallying of all the atoms in your being, in your body to, or in your body, your existence to, uh, you know, to react in a certain way. And I feel so like, you know, instinctual and it's like very, I've thought a lot about, you know, what does it mean for people to be like, very like pack oriented or kind of, um, clan oriented and I do kind of see myself a little bit more like leaning in that direction in ways that again I've like kind of tried to unpack and and neutralize a little bit but um yeah it's just a sense of like you know almost an instinctual sense of like really like needing to protect the people and the things that you mainly the people that you love yeah um I love your phrasing the the rallying of every atom in your being um (laughs) so what's it like for you now so one of the things that's so cool about you is just your you have just this beautiful capacity for self-reflection and um so as you talk about your journey of being more 
this is my word, not yours, um, like self-restraining or like, well, you, your, your word was neutralized, like neutralizing that, that intensity or something like that. What's that like for you? Um, or, and what makes that hard and where are you at with it? Yeah, that's a really, that's an interesting question. Um, thank you for that question. I would say it's less like restraining and even neutralizing isn't the right word, but probably more just like letting go um, and realizing as well that like a lot of the like kind of reactions and particularly like, you know, as someone who comes into kind of a like fight or flight, you know, everyone comes into a fight or flight mode at, at certain points, but I think understanding when that's happening for you and when it doesn't necessarily need to be happening. Um, okay. And starting to program yourself out of patterns that were maybe developed like early on um, mm -hmm. to let yourself just kind of like live in a more like peaceful way. And also like, you know, I think in a, in a way that one of the great things in my experience, who I am is, is my sense of will and, you know, my ability to kind of see that out in the universe, but also mm -hmm. recognize that it's up to other people to, to, you know, exert that in their own lives. And like, if they need me, they can call on me, but it's not necessarily my place to, you know, add a lot of energy where it's not asked for. Right. So it sounds like there's this quality of discernment around um, what is and is not a, a useful use of your energy um, or um, maybe useful isn't, do you have a more precise use uh, word for that useful? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, like when it comes to like other people and protection, I would say like, is it, is it asked for, or is it sought from that person? Mm -hmm. um, Got it. And yeah. Okay, cool. Just cause I know you, I want to bring up a couple things. I forget exactly what the situation was, but you were, I think applying to business school and then you had a conversation, I think it was with your dad. And he, he said something like, what did you think you were just going to walk in, you know, to the, uh, and just, do you remember this? Do you remember the moment that I'm talking about? Um, yeah. he like, he listened to you. And then he also just like gave it to you straight in a way that was like kind of a, a bit of a gut punch, but it felt good. And then you told me after the conversation that that is what love is like for you. You're like, that's, that kind of thing makes me feel really loved when people mm -hmm. just give really kind of bring it, you know, in a way that's yeah. like, they're seeing me, but also they're, um, they're not just softly receiving me. They're also like bringing themselves to, to the interaction. Um, can you say more about that? Like, what is it like, like what makes you feel loved? Well, that, that's a pretty loaded question. What makes me feel loved, I guess. And maybe, maybe I can get to that through the lens of this, this experience as well, but mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for the purpose of that specific example, um, I went one of my business school interviews. Um, you know, I tend to be someone who's like very, very confident, particularly in interview situations, um, because I am very verbal and I, I find I, I feel that I navigate social situations with a lot of ease. Um, and so I, you know, I sat down in the in the interview, and and the woman was like just 
really like a borderline rude for like the 75 minutes or whatever. And it was shocking to me in a, in a way. Um, but yeah, my dad definitely listened with empathy, but then at the end was like, well, exactly what you said. What did you think you were going to be able to waltz in? And they were going to receive you with open arms and say, welcome, please join, join us. <laughs> Which honestly, I did think that for the record. <laughs> um, so the reason why it's important for me to have people in my life, I mean, that, that I think the first thing is like really actively listening and listening with empathy and here actually are able to hear what you're saying, mm -hmm. but then to, to take it kind of a next step is to, it's uncomfortable to give people really your honest opinion. Like if you, there, how many people, when you think about your own friends and what you actually would say to them, if you were, you know, like, let's say writing an anonymous letter and you were like, I actually think that you should dump that person that's like verbally abusive to you or no one actually, it, it's very rare for people to do that, even for the people that are closest to them in their lives. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I, for me, it's those kind of like two, two levels when it comes to at least communication and support of like being, being an incredibly empathetic and, and thoughtful listener, but then also having the kind of guts and courage to give an, an authentic read and an authentic voice to, to, you know, the person that you care for. Right, right. And this is something that you do for your friends too. Yeah, I mean, I really, I try to do it. I, I really try to do it when it's particularly like if it's, if it's as if it's an important situation. Mm -hmm. If it's not, I, I more and more kind of let it go. Um, and I also, to be honest, if I think the other person can't risk, like, I mean, my judgment of that they, they can't receive it, mm -hmm. or they're not in a position <laughs> to receive it, then I right. will hold back. But if right. I feel if I feel that I can say it in a way that's productive, then I, I will try to. Yeah. Um, okay. A uh, couple other <laughs> couple other stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, once we were, I believe, it was at your picnic, um, going okay. away from uh, from New York. And I forget what his name is. I'm going to have to share his name, but he was your, your friend from Google. Uh, yeah. He came and um, we had, there was probably like 10 people on a picnic blanket in Thompson Square, Pumpkin mm -hmm. Square Park. Yeah. And, and there was a moment, everyone was having, laughing, having a good time. There were drinks flowing. There was some snacks. And he made a joke <clears throat> that was sort of an offhand joke, but it was, it was like a little bit derogatory towards women. And, and you pounced on this moment. Um, do you remember the moment I'm talking about? No, I don't. You don't? I mean, I kind of a little bit, but you'll have to finish telling the story. <laughs> so I'm protecting his identity, but, um, <laughs> but he, said, he, he said some sort of offhand comment about, oh, well, you know, um, that's the way it is because she's a woman. And you were like, oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, you know, and then he started to defend his joke, but he knew that he was on icy. He knew he, he was on thin ice. And you're like, oh, yeah, because because she's a woman, I see the joke because and you kind of laid it out, like explained it, you know, <laughs> the underlying logic of the joke to him. 
and then mm. kind of forced him to deal with the um do you get the point i'm making he, you sure. yeah the discomfort in the of, yeah 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 i mean i i i kind i do kind of vaguely remember that moment and i i but it's a moment that i've lived over like many many times yeah that's that's what i'm wondering okay yeah um i guess we covered it a little bit but i'm curious if you have anything else to say about that particular thing because that's that's a thing just to give some enneagram context to it is um eights uh, don't have a monopoly on doing this, but they are certainly the the, the type that that demonstrates for us more than any other the willingness to go toe to toe in a situation like that, not to take shit from people, you know, um, and just to to seize the moment to stand up for something you believe in. And yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think for me. Um, the comfort around that comes with having grown up in a very like combative environment where mm -hmm. you, in a lot of like really high energy type of arguments you're you know thinking on your toes really quickly um and i guess yeah in those types of moments i would say those things happen less and less as i get older because it, you know, it has to be pretty important or I have to really kind of believe in it to, to kind of have that moment of just like, you know, it's almost like, um, I, I can't like really describe the feeling, but it's almost just like something just kind of like clicks. And then it's like, you're just moved to act in this way. <laughs> and I almost can't stop myself once I'm on the track, but I, whereas I used to have a more kind of aggressive style, I think now I tend to do that a little bit more, just like strip it back in a way that is, to be honest, like it's a little bit, it's a little bit like uncomfortable, right? Because you're peeling the other person back and you're forcing them to kind of like, you're putting them on the spot in a way that's like not really that nice. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it, it's I guess it's maybe it's a way of like feeling that kind of protective instinct a little bit mm -hmm. for myself but then also for other people or or you know in this case like women in general but I feel like yeah <laughs> yeah 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 I feel that cool um one other story <laughs> okay. okay um and I don't want to I don't want to talk to you a little bit about your startup journey um but one other story this was like one of the moments that I got most into trouble with you was the moment um, of um, of the martyr, the margarita and bicycle night. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Really good there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so just the gist of the gist of this was we'd been um, quarantined in COVID with our other with another uh, sort of temporary roommate. We were a little bit going crazy. And we one night uh we made some margaritas and then we went out for a bicycle ride. And you split off from the group and there was a um let's see, uh me and the other roommate were worried about you and we're trying to um call you and bring you back home. And when you got back home, there was, how do I want to put this? Um, 
it we, it revealed like a really interesting like fundamental philosophical difference um that it was like i felt that i was trying to uh protect you i was worried about you you were like you know a woman out on the streets of new york on a bicycle at like 2 30 a.m um in a vulnerable position and <laughs> what you said to me was it's basically it's my life and if, if it's my choice to do that then i should have the right to do that and you don't get to basically tell me what to do um and then it was actually what was interesting about it to me was that it was so it was even it the position you held was so deep and strong that um it was even like when we talked about it a couple weeks later it was like the intensity was still there there was like still heat around it um and i wonder even if there's around it for you now but um can you say a little bit about that like what is the what's the What's the heat around that? Or what's the, what's the fundamental value? Wow. Um, yeah, there is still some heat around that. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I could add some more details to the story. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, the, we, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that really what, like a little bit tipped me over the edge <laughs> gonna un I feel like we're opening some old wounds here but, <laughs> um, was the uh, like threatening to call the police um which oh, was <laughs> I forgot about that <laughs> that's right okay yeah um so I I mean I guess like coming back to the fundamental value um I mean, yeah, I guess exactly what I said. Like, you know, I'm an adult. I've, you know, my my life my life is my responsibility. You know, I I I gave you the courtesy of letting you know where I was and that I was okay, and then it was my decision to stay out. Um, and then I felt that you overstepped your boundary in your kind of demand for me to act in a way that you felt like was appropriate for my circumstance. Right, right. So the, and so the demanding, like, that's the reason I bring the story up um, is because it's, to me, it, it really gets to the, um, the feeling in eights, it's like my independence is precious and like, sort of don't tell me what to do, please. Um, and my life, like I'm in control of my life. It's not that my independence is precious. I, like that yeah. is the complete like wrong wording. It's that my uh -huh. independence is like, is so solid and so fundamental that it's completely untouchable by you. And like, <laughs> in this sense, like it's really my way or the highway, like. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want. This is that's great. Um, how do you feel right now that talking about it? Um, I I feel I still feel surprised by what happened. Actually, looking back on that evening, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I guess I still kind of feel surprised about it, and feel surprised that that's that feels like something that would happen you know more in like a 
late teens, early twenties, like let alone <laughs> people in their thirties to be gallivanting around New York, having that happen. But um, yeah. Okay. I would say it's rare that a situation makes me feel like as intensely emotional now as, as that situation did. What, say that one more time. It's rare for a situation now to yeah. make me feel that's like outside of a romantic or relationship context. That right, right. Yeah, yeah. Know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's dig into your startup for a little bit. Uh, maybe just first, like what appealed to you about starting a company? And, and how did you come up with the idea? Like, can you just take us on the journey of how it came to be? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, as I've kind of mentioned, my background, my early background was really like in sports and athletics. So I rode for a long time growing up in my undergrad and then um, full-time for a couple of years as well, which was, you know, kind of um, an important like mindset shaping experience um, that led to, I think when I did go into a full-time corporate career um, as a brand strategist and then as a, as a, as a marketer in tech, um, I, a feeling of sort of just like lacking a little bit of intensity and purpose in what I was doing. Um, and one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that precipitated me going to business schools to basically take some time off recover some kind of like intellectual inspiration and, and I don't know, sense of like what meaningful work could look like. Um, and through kind of discovering more about entrepreneurship and startups and talking to founders kind of started to see the world as just a much more aligned with, first of all, the, the way that I kind of had like to structure my activities and pursuits as an, as an athlete. Um, I guess just given kind of the small team and the sense of like, you know, exerting some kind of your creative life force into the world through the lens of business. Um, and so I, in business school, did a, did a few things, you know, consulted for a startup and founded an incubator um, and then um, met my co-founder and we founded a company to automate health insurance for US-based psychotherapists. Um, and then we worked on that for, um, let's say five months or so. Um, and then we ended up being basically misaligned between the co-founding team um, and decided to, and, and with a number of other kind of factors that were in there as well around the space, the complexity of the space and our expertise. Um, and then decided to kind of dissolve after at that point um, before raising funds. Okay, got it. Yeah, so, <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, no, we can, we can pause there. I was gonna like, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to like resist going into like my professional pitch mode where I'm like, and now. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, so why don't we just chat about that? Okay, cool. So one thing just from an Enneagram perspective that I wanna hone in on is the sense of, um, and now I'm, I'm, I forgot your phrasing, but something like, a startup being an, uh, an avenue for uh, unleashing your creative life force into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that we talk about with eights a lot is the sense of, I want to have an impact on the world. I want to 
my will is very important to me. I like to, I like to be constructing things, to be doing stuff in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, as you might imagine, eights self-select a lot into the startup world as founders. Um, and, it, and really in, in lots of realms of life, they're people who are, they're take charge people. They like to do stuff. And so, um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, I would say like, um, let me just, yeah, pause and, and think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes back to like basically what I said around just this feeling of being alive through the exertion of, I mean, there's like cre creative life force is kind of the best way that I've started to describe it for myself. Um, and I find it, I find it almost, I mean, in my like experience working in the corporate world, I find it very challenging to have that experience in an organization that's so big where that, you know, you're not doing like mission critical activities on a daily basis. Um, I, I think I, I think I need to feel that like I'm on the edge of like win or lose on almost a constant basis um, yeah. to really kind of feel that sense of that I'm applying myself in a way that's like worthy of, of my life. Um, uh huh. And when you're not on the edge of win or lose, then what does it feel like? Oh, it's sort of like, what's the point? It's like, it's like Seabiscuit, you know, if there's no horse in the race, like you just kind of, I mean, I just kind of uh, lose motivation, you know, hang out, enjoy life. So I really kind of, I, I really default, I would say into those two extremes. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I in order to like really feel alive, I like to be in a very intense environment. Right. And you're using this word alive, which is a very important eight word, the sense of feeling alive. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so, and I, I love how you also talk about your experience or your desire to go into startups, having been an athlete um, and being an athlete, but just being the kind of person who puts yourself through these kinds of, put yourself in the in the kinds of experiences where you're going to have to exert your life force um, to kind of get get to that edge, and um, you know, one thing that I find interesting and inspiring about eights a lot is that this is like they seek this kind of thing. They seek to challenge themselves in these kinds of ways. Like I'm thinking, even of like your training, your solo training for a marathon in New York, where <laughs> um, just to for, for the for the friends watching. <laughs> Like you would go on these, uh, uh, you you rigorously kept to your own marathon training schedule, um, and would even come back after a twenty mile run and then um, with two bags of ice <laughs> and dunk yourself into an ice bath for ten minutes, which after which was just amazing to me. Not just the fact that you ran twenty miles, but also that you. And I th I'm imagining this also came from your training as a rower. Like this is something that you do to for your body, but like the intensity of having run 20 miles and then the intensity of plunging yourself into an ice bath. These are the kinds of things that eights are showing us are possible <laughs> with our bodies, like pushing our bodies to it to an extreme that that we wouldn't otherwise feel as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to do the ice bath. Otherwise, you won't have any energy to go out at night. So, <laughs> <laughs> critical component of the training schedule. 
Um, so the, okay, just going back to the startup for a second. The, um, so the journey altogether, how many months were you working on it? Well, we were probably like leading up and ideating for like, honestly, I don't like to say this, but it was probably like six or seven months. And then we were working on like the actual, when we settled on the idea and we, I mean, we pivoted a couple of times, but we were operating within a pretty narrow space for five months and mm -hmm. making that idea. So right. I would say, yeah, for the properly, we were working on it for like five months. Okay. And it was just the two of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what should I ask about it? I mean, I would say like one interesting question that I've gotten recently, which relates to both like athletics and startups and work contexts is around teams. Yeah. And expectations for other people um, huh. and how that's communicated and how that, how that results in different leadership styles. And like, I think one thing that I learned a lot about leadership, like throughout my undergrad and, and throughout like a lot of my rowing career through a lot of error, trial and error, um, because I think I tended to, I tended and, and now, yeah, maybe I've mellowed out a little bit, but to have like the most intense mindset and be a little bit, as I mentioned to you earlier, like my way or the highway in the sense that everyone should be doing 150%. And if you're not, then, you know, get off the team basically. <laughs> um, and for me, like watching that practice alienate people um, and actually cause me and the team to kind of like fail, like, you know, cr crumble in a bigger way than actually strengthen other people was a big eye opener for me in terms of like leadership styles. Right. Um, and I would say it was definitely like a, a big confidence killer on the leadership front as well. Sometimes I still question, question my leadership abilities because, because of some of my like early athletic experiences. Um, but I do think that there, for, for at least speaking from my own experience, like the mindset of intensity around like my own work and my own approach definitely extends in terms of expectations for the people that I work closely with. Yeah. Yeah. And was that even with just with you working with a co-founder, was that, how did those dynamics come into play? Uh, wow. That actually is a really interesting case study because my co-founder was more intense than I was. <laughs> and it was, it was a sticking point. Um, okay. so for example, like one of the things that you know about me is that I am very like, uh, can, can be pretty rigid in terms of my routine for like sleep and exercise and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't really like, I don't really like to work more than 60 hours a week, which probably some people that are watching are like, oh, you softy. Like I would never start a business with her. Huh. <laughs> and that was like one of the, that was one of the like sticking points, um, sticking points there as well. So I actually experienced the other side of it, but um, you know, oddly enough, I didn't really, I mean, I, I did feel pressure to like have a bigger output, but I, I wasn't, yeah, I mean, it was, I, yeah, I'm not sure actually what to say about that, given that I'm usually the one on the other side of it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so cool. Why don't we sort of come to a close then? Um, 
what was this like for you? Oh, it's interesting. You know, I, I'm not sure how I feel now having kind of gone through it. Cause I feel like, <laughs> I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, I really answered honestly and authentically without knowing that much about the Enneagram or type eights. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a part of me that worries that like everything that I said is going to be used as a proof point for <laughs> like why the Enneagram is really like wonderful, valid, worthwhile framework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like I'm almost like, wow, I, I feel like I, I gave, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But um, I mean, maybe that just goes to show that I deserve to give it a, another shot, but um, yeah, I would also just say, like, I think that a lot of the examples that we've talked about have shown, you know, things that are a big part of who I am, like, you know, like, let's say the toughness, like hardworking, intensity, straight talking, yeah. uh, like power in social situations, all these types of things. And, re you know, in for me, especially having gone through the years of the therapy that I did, that's not really the way that I see myself in anymore in a, in yeah. a very forward way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually really often describe myself to other people as like very sensitive. Um, and I, my experience of the world is, is in that way. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I, more and more, I'm kind of trying to orient myself towards that, like vulnerability, maybe to kind of counterbalance that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that like, you know, you, we've captured a lot of like maybe my kind of journey up until now that yeah. that speaks to that maybe grounding. But um, yeah, I mean, of course, just to say that it's never the full the full picture. Of course, yeah, and I'm actually I'm so glad that you that you went there. Can you talk a little like one thing that I one thing I I just love about you is your is your tenderness and your soulfulness. And, and we've talked about this on, on a number of occasions, but this there, um, well, living with you was, I mean, it, for me, it was just a huge gift. And it was like, um, just a real sense of, like, it was just, how do I put it? Um, and this is, we could talk about it in the context of the Enneagram, but just, I'm talking about you, like there's a, there was a way that coming home and and being hanging out with you, you know, was this, there was a very, there was a beautiful safety and kind of like, we had a very cool container, like a relational container that was just like, we both really brought ourselves to it in a cool way. And I felt very supported and loved in it. And um, it was a very powerful friendship for me. And there was so much, there was so much tenderness in it. Like we really, it was a place I really felt like I could bring my whole heart. Um, and so one thing that I think is a stereotype that's really unfair of AIDS is that there it's all crash and bang and intensity all the time. And it really isn't that there's like, there's this, there's a, there's a beautiful softness and a sensitivity. Um, you know, depending on the, depending on the eight, sometimes it's behind the armor, but sometimes like you right now foregrounding it, like it's really, it's really there. It's part of the whole tapestry. So Anyway, I just, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. thank you for saying that. I mean, 
Yeah, I would also say like, you know, I mean, not, not to like keep this going for so long, but also just because I think that my experience of our friendship and having that container that you're speaking about was really kind of the, 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 the groundwork that enabled me to come into that kind of like ongoing sensitivity and like, you know, tenderness that, that is now so core to kind of like the way that I exist in the world. And I even find myself, like I had a friend in town this weekend who was saying like, um, she was like, oh, you know, do you find, like, how do you find yourself like opening up to other people? And for me, like there's such a, like, I, I really, it's almost like such a deliberate like testing process. Like I'll give a little bit of like, a little bit of some kind of vulnerability. And then I'm like looking at that person. I'm like, are they looking at me in the eyes? Are they like, is their body geared towards me? Like, how are they receiving the information? Are they gonna protect it? Like, are they, do they value my vulnerability and the way that I value my vulnerability? And I really like, it takes a long time for me to kind of develop that with other people, but I think having really helps me step into that. That's what's cool about the way you're describing it. It's like, there's almost a, um, like, even, even, even with sometimes the timidity you're, there's a, there's a self-respect in it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal myself and be vulnerable just with a person who's going to, uh, not value that, you know, there's like a, you know what I'm saying? There's a wisdom in that too. There's a calibration. And so, yeah. yeah, actually, credit to my therapist who told me that my vulnerability is valuable, and that's something that I've repeated to myself many times. <laughs> but thanks for recognizing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Emily, I love you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> um, thank you for doing this. Um, can I ask you one other question? I'm I'm really just curious at a deeply personal level. Given yeah. your stance on the Enneagram, why did you say yes to this? Uh, well, you're a friend and I'm always, um, you know, it's data. Like I'm being honest about my answers. So from that perspective, like it still feels true to me. Like you're just asking me kind of questions and, right. and, um, and I also recognize that it's incredibly helpful to other people just because it's like, doesn't you know, I, I, I think it's a good thing in the world. I think that more, it's also, I think, a, a, a like, what's like, not like a gateway drug, but like <laughs> a gateway for people to develop empathy. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So um, that's another reason why I think it is like overall good in the world. Cool. You're careful. You're, you're going to start pitching the Enneagram. I'm going to piece together um, <laughs> clips of you pitching the Enneagram <laughs> and, 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 and uh, have it on my website. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> It's okay. The internet actually cut out a little bit. So you were really, you were, you were choppy during that pitch. So you're saved, I think. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, see, the universe is looking out for me. Manifestation. <laughs> All right, um, I'm going to stop the recording. Um, thank you. If you enjoy these interviews, please subscribe and like. 
these videos. And also if you're listening to this as a podcast, then uh, I would love for you to write me a review. They super, super help. Also, please check out John and my new Enneagram school at theenneagramschool.com. Get on our email list. We're going to be announcing a couple of new classes soon. And we're also about to film our introductory Enneagram course. So a bunch of stuff coming up there. And one other thing is please check out enneagramexpressions.com, which is the Enneagrammer Dark Arts Academy guys celebrity database presented in a visual interact with a bull format. Very cool. And also please check out enneagrammer.com and the Dark Arts Academy where you can learn how to type people by watching the experts do celebrity typings in real time.